Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts would be pleasing. Lord, we are thirsty more than we are actually tuned into. So uh, please, uh, open our eyes and open our hearts to your word and your truth, and we will say thank you, Jesus. Amen? So, continuing our series, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Sunday School, which is a ripoff of Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And we're looking at some of the Bible stories in the Old Testament, and today I actually want to look at the burning bush, Moses coming before the burning bush, how the bush was burning and not consumed. And I want to kind of catch you up a little bit if you don't really know the story of Moses. He was born at that time Pharaoh. They, he did not like the children of Israel. They were like bugs to him. He hated them. He wanted to actually lower their quantity And one way he chose to lower their quantity was to throw all the babies, all the male babies, because he figured probably the women could be assimilated more easily. He, He wanted to throw all the male babies in the Nile. And so as he's doing this, Moses' mom makes a little ark, a little basket covered in tar inside and out and floats them down the river of death. You know, I can imagine other babies dead floating down the Nile, and here's Moses in a little boat. He gets rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up, and this is where the story begins. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, he went out to his brethren, and he looked on their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses has a strong sense of justice, doesn't he? And even though he probably looked like an Egyptian, he identified with the Hebrews. And he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? You know, I mean, you got to understand, like, the guy has to go home to his family, right? He has to report back to work, and all of a sudden he's missing. It didn't take long to put two and two together. I think looking this way and that probably wasn't the best way to hide it. Then Moses was afraid. Surely the matter has become known. You know, and I think about Moses. When we would talk about leaders and great leaders, Moses is a great leader, isn't he? And you know what I think makes a great leader? Failure. Failure. Yeah, failure. I I mean, Moses is somebody who learned from his failure. What happens when you fail? What do you do? Do you tend to do what I do? When I feel ashamed, I, I rethink the event over and over and over again. Come on, think about something that you did and you were ashamed of. Did you just rehearse it in your mind again and again and again? I'm going to broadcast one of my failures. So um, we do Zoom prayer twice a week at 10, and I'm part of that. And I get on in my car, and I open up the meeting, and I turn off the the screen because I'm driving down the street. And I actually 
it connected to my radio, but I didn't get it to connect so I could hear it back. So the Zoom people could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. And I forgot, you know, that other people are joining Zoom. And this guy, like, doesn't yield the right of way. I'm just going to say it and apologize. This is what comes out of my mouth over Zoom. And I'm an unfazed person. Bull crap. Yes. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, did I just broadcast that to my Zoom prayer? Are they in the middle of prayer? And they hear, they, and somebody goes, who's that in that window? You know, who's that? Yeah. So, of course, I have to come clean and go, it's your pastor. You know, and I, I then thought about that over and over, and I'm like, oh, you, yeah, good thing you didn't say anything worse. You know, good, right, you know. And, I, and the funny thing about shame is rehearsing it never fixes it, does it? No, you just, it, it, it makes matters worse. It just puts you under the pile. I read this book on shame a couple years ago, and he said, he, he quoted this passage where Jesus says, um, where it's said about Jesus, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he said, for us to scorn our own shame is not to think about it, not to rehearse it. Isn't that interesting? And I think so often, many times, our shame speaks to us, but we should speak to our shame. And we should say, wait a minute, Jesus took all my shame on the cross. I can learn from my past. I can learn from my mistakes. I can't change it. And it doesn't speak about my future, right? We can speak to our shame and we can move on. And I think that's what Moses did. Uh, it, it says that Moses, uh, I shouldn't should I say this, when Pharaoh heard about the matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and he settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. Isn't that awesome? Moses has a sense of justice. Like, guys, you're abusing these women. And he stands up for them. And then they went home and they told their father, He's like, why did you come back so soon? Because usually you have to wait because your women and the other shepherds uh, basically take advantage of you. A and they said, well, there was an Egyptian. Notice they didn't see that he was a Hebrew. He looked like an Egyptian. He, he delivered us from the hands of the shepherd. What is more, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, where is he then? <laughs> Sounds like an upstanding man. Why, why is it you've left this man behind? Invite him uh, to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses, and she gave birth to a son and named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in the land. You know what else I think helps with shame? This guy, he, her dad was a priest. A priest is somebody who mediates between God and man. I, you know what else helps with shame is when you have somebody who listens with empathy, right? You ever come to somebody with a failure and what do they do? You ought to be ashamed, <laughs> right? You did what? How dare you? You know, like, and, 
And the funny thing is, is they're not in touch with their own sinfulness. They're not in touch with what you need, that you need somebody with empathy. Because empathy is kryptonite to shame. Empathy is kryptonite to shame. And you, you need that. My mind went, uh, I was thinking about this, to something Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was somebody who lived, uh, he was German, but he lived in America at the beginning of World War II, and he said, you know what? I am not going to stay in America. I'm going to go back and suffer with my brothers. And he went back to Germany, and he ended up uh, trying to actually kill Hitler and uh, was put in prison and was martyred or killed for uh, what he was doing and for his faith. But he wrote wonderful things. And he wrote about confession in this little book called Life Together. And he said, you know, James says, confess your faults to one another. Uh, He said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. AA says, you're only as sick as your secrets. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all the fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because they don't have fellowship, I'm sorry, because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they don't have fellowship as undevout and as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we're sinners who need the gospel. We don't just have the fellowship of the saints. We have the fellowship of the sinners. And part of that is hearing each other's confession. Part of that is uh, preaching the gospel when the shame is speaking so loudly about our failures and letting each other know you're forgiven in the name of Christ. A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the sons of Israel, and he took notice of them. And I read that, and I think all through, this is early in the Bible, God feels our pain. God feels our pain. Well before you ever hear about the anger of God, you have the empathy of God. You have somebody who feels our pain. And and he's going to go on. I'm going to go on with this story of Moses. But as I go on with this story, I think Moses, um, C.S. Lewis, there's a movie out right now about his life, and it's called The Most Reluctant Convert. I think Moses was more reluctant than C.S. Lewis. You'll see as we get towards the end of this. So the scripture goes on. It says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked. And behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see the marvelous sight, 
why the bush is not burned up. I love how God gets his attention. You know, he's like, what's going on there, right? It's not, this bush is not consumed. And and I started thinking, what, what were the burning bushes in my life? What were the burning bushes in your life that got your attention for God? Right? Who were the people, places, or events that maybe originally got your attention for God? Maybe right now God is starting to get your attention. You're starting to wake up afresh and anew to the things of God. What are the burning bushes? I remember in my life I started getting interested and inquisitive about Christianity and about people who didn't just name the name but actually were like devoted followers of Jesus. And I wanted to ask them questions. I wanted to be with them and and talk to them. They, They were human burning bushes to me. Do you have people? Can you, does your mind go to people? Maybe you're sitting by people that are, in a sense, a burning bush for you. And then I also started thinking that, you know what, I grow that way too, right? Like, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd because there will be times where, like, this concept will just catch my attention or this particular Bible teacher will just catch my attention and, and I'll just go for it, and I'll just dive in. And I thank God for his spirit putting things in his word, things uh, that just jump out, and, and I like dive into it, and I'm curious about it, and I want to know more. It becomes a burning bush. I think if you're a growing Christian, your life is filled with these kind of burning bush moments where you're like, oh, I want to know more about that. I want to figure that out. I want to understand that better. I want to know the God who would be so gracious unto me that I'm willing to be a Bible nerd from time to time. Blessed are the Bible nerds. So then uh, it says, when he saw and turned aside and looked, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Same, Same thing with Abraham, 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 here I am. So God actually calls him calls him. You know, in the beginning, Moses tried to be a leader, but he tried at the wrong time. He's like, I'm going to liberate the people, and he kills somebody, right? And now God is actually calling him to be a leader. And the reality is, if you're not called to be a leader in the church, everybody's called to have influence. Everybody's called to lead in one way or another. But if you're not called, uh, don't step up into it. And here's Moses with his call. And this is the beginning of his call. And I had to ask myself, what is his call? Like right now, if you were to ask yourself, what was Moses called to do? How would you answer the question? You probably know the story. I talked about it last week. Remember the, they, there were all these plagues? And then Moses led this nation of people through the parted waters of the Red Sea that collapsed on Pharaoh's army, and he rescued them out of slavery. So I would say, yep, Moses was called to do that. And the Lord said, this is his calling. Surely I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given their heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land, I'm sorry, up from, yeah, from that land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and with honey. That's his call, or is it? Because I think there's another part of the call that we miss. 
Look what the Bible says here. And he said, certainly I will be with you. This is God talking to Moses. And this shall be a sign to you. Now, usually signs are things that happen immediately. I mean, we'll talk about it for a second. Remember, Moses puts his staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. That's a sign. But look at this sign. It's like a sign that's going to happen later. He says, uh, this will be a sign to you. I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So Moses is worshiping God on a mountain in a burning bush. The bush is named like, it sounds a lot like Sinai. And then they come back to this Mount Horeb, or it's also called Mount Sinai, and the children of Israel are to have their own burning bush experience. Check this out. So in, in a sense, God's saying, Moses, you're having a God encounter, and your call is to have this whole nation have a God encounter. Look, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. It's like a giant burning bush, isn't it? And the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. The sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So Moses has his call at the burning bush, but guess what? The children of Israel, they have a call at the burning mountain. And Moses isn't just, oh, I'm going to deliver you out of slavery, but I'm going to purpose you for something. And look what their purpose is. The Lord called to him from the mountain saying, tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings, how I brought you up, I mean, brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own treasured possession uh, among all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to it, to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's like you guys, I've chosen you to be mediators between other nations and me. Like, like he, he's got a call for them. And the reality is, is God didn't just say, Moses, deliver the people, but Moses commissioned the people, set them up. And I couldn't help but think that this is how God works in our life. We're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. And you want to know something? Peter would say that we've got the same mission as Jesus. I, I, I was here for the women's event recently. I know. I got to be here for that and uh, help with the tech a little bit. And um, what was so interesting, this gal from Rahab Ministry was there. Now, we are partnering with Rahab Ministry, and some of our people are getting involved with it. And Rahab Ministry ministers to those who are trafficked, those who are prostitutes. And one of the gals who spoke at that was somebody who was rescued from prostitution. And the beauty of it is God didn't just save her from that. She's now going out and helping rescue others. Isn't that the way he works in our lives? He doesn't just go, oh, I've rescued you from a life of self-destruction or from just selfish pleasures. He says, I'm rescuing you so you can be about other purposes. 
Peter says this, you, this is us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. Every Christian is a burning bush. I'm a burning bush. You're a burning bush. If, if you know Jesus, he's saying you, you weren't just saved for sitting. You were saved for being connected to him and, and being a light to others. You're a burning bush. Scripture goes on and he says, then don't come near, Moses. Take off your sandals. Take them off your feet for the place you're standing is holy ground. So Moses, I mean, here he is. He's got maybe some dung or sheep dung, you know, whatever, on a goat dung, maybe on his feet, and he takes his shoes off. He comes a little closer. God says, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He comes on God's terms, doesn't he? He comes on God's terms. Isn't that interesting? You know, so many times we like to talk about, you know, we have a God who loves us and accepts us just as we are. But the reality is, is we come to him just as we are, but he calls us to change. He calls us to make a difference. You know, we live in this, in this uh, world where we like to create God in our own image. And some have this very judgmental God and some have this Santa-like God but God comes as God. I, I, I was thinking about this when I read this uh, article. Man ditches his fiance after she insists on bringing her own meal to Thanksgiving dinner. And then he, of course, like goes to social media about it. Um, he said, I was shocked to ask, and I, I was shocked. I asked, why? Why do you want to bring your own meal uh, to his fiance? Uh, why? Because as far as she, I know, she's not allergic, she's not vegan, she hasn't even tried my mom's cooking. She said it's just her choice. She wanted to eat something else, add new flavors for Thanksgiving, since she was forced to eat the same old traditional meal every year by her family. You're like, what? You, you, Thanksgiving comes like once a year, right? It reminds me of, so my twin brother and I, we both like the same cake for our birthday, Sherry Bunt cake. And one year, Dwight's wife says to him, are you tired of that cake yet? He goes, you mean the cake you make once a year? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not tired of it yet, you know. But she's tired of that once a year Thanksgiving meal. And she, and she didn't even want to bring food to share. She just wanted to bring her own stuff. And he, the guy goes on, and he goes, I, I told her, no, she can't bring food with her. If she insists, then, then she has to stay home. She can't come with me. I'm not going to let her offend my mom's cooking. So here, you wonder if they're actually going to get married after he posted on social media. Um, and he, he goes, I got in the car, and I left her behind crying, you know. Rather than offend his mom, he made some excuse when he got there. And what is he saying? You're not coming on your terms. You're coming on my terms. And, and this is how it is with God. I, I, you know, I hate to say it. You know, if God's word can't offend us, it can't change us. I remember I was walking with the mayor of Broadview Heights, and we were walking the prayer path back there when we first opened it. And, and I, I said that to him. I go, you know, 
If God's word can't offend us, it can't change us. Because if it doesn't offend us, then we have a God who's created in our own image. In the Western culture, in America and other Western cultures, we do not like the thou shall nots of, of sexuality in the Bible. We don't like when we're told to be sexually active. We don't like the, that it's to be a man and a woman in the context of marriage. We're like, no, you can't tell us what to do. Don't tell me who to love. God, you can't. You, you didn't really mean that. We try to change it. We do it. It's offensive to the Western world. But let me tell you, you go over to the Eastern world, you go over to a nation, to an Eastern nation, they're like, yeah, I agree with that. They may not be Christian, but they agree with that. They may not totally agree with one man, one woman, but, but men and women. They, they agree with that, but you know what they have a hard time with? Love your enemy. No. No, 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 they choke on that. That's offensive to them. You don't love your enemy, you destroy your enemy. If somebody's your enemy, you don't, you don't love them. You see, if the Bible can't offend us, it can't change us. In every culture that the Bible moves into, that Christ moves into, there are things about that culture that God wants to shape. And yes, he loves us and accepts us as we are, but he shapes us to be this kingdom, chosen priest. And, and part of it is we have to let the Bible offend us and come to him on his terms. <clears throat> I, I was thinking about this because a lot of us, uh, we call ourselves Christian, Right? And back in the day, uh, Jesus' time, or a little bit after, uh, his brother would say, some of you call yourselves Christian. Some of you say, um, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him something um, needed for his body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, uh, if it does not have works, is dead. What is he saying there? He's like, you, you call yourself a Christian, but I don't see Jesus living like that. And if the life of Christ is in you, and you see somebody in need, and you harden your heart... I'm going to question whether you really have saving faith. That, that's what he's saying there. He's saying God has certain terms. If, if you're a recipient of all this undeserved favor, that undeserved favor should flow from you. Like it should change us. Convicting, isn't it? it, it scripture goes on and says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out? God said, I'll be with you. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to go through Moses trying to talk God out of his calling. And here's the thing. Many times when you feel ready to be called, you're not. But when you don't feel ready, you're probably a lot closer to feeling ready to be called. So Moses, his first question is, who am I? God, who am I? And it reminded me, I might be somebody who likes Seinfeld, reminded me of something that George said. He said, you know, I feel like my old self again, totally inadequate, completely insecure, paranoid, neurotic. It's a pleasure. You know, 
And uh, Moses is like, God, I, 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 I'm not that guy. I, I don't have confidence to do the ministry that you're calling me to. A mark of readiness for many is that you actually aren't ready. And why is it? Second Corinthians, Paul says, hey, we're not adequate in ourselves. I'm not adequate in myself to do ministry. My adequacy comes from God. He's made us adequate as ministers of the new covenant. And this is where you, you let go of the pride and all that stuff, which is something you die to daily, and you say, Lord, I'm adequate because of your calling, because of your spirit, because of your new covenant with me. So Moses first says, who am I? And then he goes, who are you? He goes, who, who am I, God, that you would call me? And now who are you? Moses says to God, behold, I, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. Now they may say, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God says, I am who I am. The verb to be, I am. That's it. Tell them. He's like, all right, I'm going to do it. So Moses is still trying to talk himself out of it. And then Moses is like, wait a minute. So now I'm a nobody, but you say you'll be with me. Now I got your name. I'll tell them your name. But what if they don't believe me? God's like, okay, let me give you some miracles, right? Some things that you can do so people will believe you. So he says, take your shepherd's staff, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And then God tells him to pick it up by the tail. Do you ever pick a snake up by the tail? Why wouldn't you do that? Because it will bite you, right? Pick it up right behind the head, right? Because it can't bite you that way. Very important. But Moses, now pick it up by the tail, right? And it turns back into a staff. Stick your hand in your, in your garment. Pull it out. It's, it's white as snow. Put it back in, right? Like, and so he's like, okay, you do these things, and they'll believe you, right? There's some kind of mystical power. Moses is like, all right. I haven't talked him out of it yet. And then, then Moses said, Lord, please, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since I, you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. I'm heavy of tongue, slow of tongue. Moses, here he is standing before, or maybe kneeling before a burning bush that's talking to him, right? I mean, you got to get the picture. And God is calling him, and he's trying to talk him out of it. Like, I know this is pretty impressive, and I'm scared, so I know you're a real thing, but God, I can't talk. I'm, I'm slow, I can't, I can't talk. You know, God is like, who made your mouth? You know, who did this? You know, and Moses is just continually trying to get out of this calling. It reminded me of a friend. So uh, years ago, I was uh, leading worship at another congregation, and there was a guy in the congregation. Did he have long hair back then? Did he have long hair? Yeah, I think he did. Um, and I wanted to invite him up on the worship team because we had this keyboardist, and I thought maybe they could get together in the future. No, I'm kidding. Um, so um, I invite him to play guitar on the worship team, and he was on the radio, so I knew he could talk, but he goes, I can't sing. I can't sing. I'm like, well, you can talk in between songs, can't you? Yep, good. Play the guitar, talk in between songs. And guess who for many years has sang and worship led? The one who can't sing. You know, I heard this uh, some years later. 
I, uh, Jojo was on staff here, and I said, Joe, you know, I always just wish that I could have some more help with worship leading. And she's like, I can't sing, Pastor Doug. And I go, oh, come on downstairs. So we come, this is the other building, come down, turn on the keyboard. She starts playing and singing. And I'm like, Joe, you just haven't played your instrument. And how many would agree that Jojo sings beautifully, right? Yeah, she, she's like, I am heavy of tongue. No, I'm kidding. I mean, but this is how callings work, isn't it? Like God uses that. And many times we tell him I can't, but it's because we just haven't tried. Well, the last thing Moses says is, um, Lord, can you just send somebody else? I mean, I, I just, it's such a humorous picture. This is a massive God encounter, and he's trying to talk God out of the call he has on his life. And frankly, you read, you, got, you read all through Genesis and into Exodus, into chapter 4, and this is the first time God's anger is spoken about. I mean, you think with, like, Noah, you might get some anger. No. This is the first time God's angry, and who's he angry at? Sinners? No. Well, kind of. Moses, right? And the Lord's anger, his nose was hot, his, his anger was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming to meet with you. And when you see him, he'll be glad. And instead of taking the flame from the bush and just consuming Moses, of which he deserved, God actually like, acquiesces to, to him. It's amazing. And I had to read this and think, how stubborn is the love of God, right? I mean, God is faithfully pursuing you and pursuing me to this day, right? He, his, his steadfast love, he's the God who runs after us. He's always knocking on our door. And I couldn't help but think that there are probably people here who are like Moses, and God has been knocking and you've been talking to the hand, and you're trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, no, 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 come, come, come home, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. No, is that, is the way you're living working? It's not, no, like he's got a plan, and he's been pursuing and knocking and saying, are you going to respond to my stubborn love? Are you going to continue resisting, or are you going to respond to this stubborn love? And you know what helps melt my heart? Helps me respond more to stubborn love. Wow, can you put, there it is. Is when I think that you got this bush, it's on fire and it's not burned. And it's a picture of my relationship with Christ. Because I deserve to be burned. And Jesus took the flame and the fire of the judgment of God so I can be like that bush on fire and not burned, because Jesus did it. We pray with me? Lord, I, I pray that you would make, whether we've been walking with you for a long time, or whether right now we know in our heart that you have been knocking, and we've been stubborn, and you're even more stubborn in pursuing us. Help us to respond to you, to say, Lord, I hear your voice, and today I want to 
open my heart, to surrender my heart and my life afresh and anew, imperfect as my surrender is. Thank you for pursuing. And even those of us who have been walking with you, Lord, we need you to continually pursue us with your stubborn love, to get the cobwebs, to open our ears, to be grateful that we aren't burned, to appreciate your mercy afresh and anew today. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.